Okay. Uh, open Doors Part 3, perhaps the concluding part of the series. And uh, we'll talk about reinforcing gates. And sometimes the word doors can be traded for gates. Strange thing is, regardless of whether you have doors or gates, you need walls, eh? If you don't have walls, no point having doors and gates. And so we go to Nehemiah today. And we see some of the gates that Nehemiah um, talked about in uh, Nehemiah chapter 3. And so uh, in Nehemiah 2, verse 17 and 18, Nehemiah challenges the people to rise up and build. And he is facing a lot of opposition and a lot of ridicule. Despite that, he says, hey guys, we got to rebuild the walls. And once we rebuild the walls, we also have to make sure that we put gates and doors. Sunday school kids? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, sorry, I didn't even realize. Go ahead, Emily. Sare, you can go. You can go too. Huh? Okay. No, no, I was saying Sunday school. <laughs> oh, it's kids' church. Sorry. Okay. So, in Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah challenges them in two, chapter two, verse seventeen and eighteen, saying, "Hey, guys." build the walls back and make sure that the gates and the doors are placed um, because um, despite the opposition, despite the ridicule, it's important to have your doors and gates in place. And the wall that he built was about eight feet thick and uh, was done in 40 different sections. These, this is not important for us, but I just thought I'd let you know how thick the walls are. 40 sections of unequal length. And everybody took part, eh? except, I mean, there were perfumers, there were goldsmiths, there were women, there were men, there, there were um, people from every profession you know of that helped build the wall. The only guys who didn't build were certain nobles from a place called Tekoa, because they felt it was way below them to build the wall for the city. Sometimes you can have everybody participate, and I say this partly because of what we are going into. We're making this massive shift in the way we function, I personally feel, starting next week. And when we do that, there'll be unequal lengths that you will have to work on. There'll be unequal shares that you will have uh, in the work that is done. But regardless, make sure that everybody puts in, pitches in. Because the only ones in the book of Nehemiah that did not partake in the building of the wall for the city of Jerusalem was in chapter 3, verse 5. It was the nobles from Tekoa who did not feel that they were um, to stoop to do the work to build the wall to protect the city. 
And may none of us be noble, noble from Tekoa. May we take part in what lies ahead, eh? So that's just on the side. But we want to talk about the gates now. And so when we talk about these gates that Nehemiah mentions, and it's put up there on the wall because this isn't working. Uh, um, you see the gates there. It's, not, uh, it's very hard to see them. You'll need new glasses to see those gates. But uh, at the end of the day, there were 12 gates that are mentioned by Nehemiah. Ten of them in chapter 3 and two of them in chapter 8. And we'll look at them today. Why are we examining these gates? Because if you examine the relevance of these gates and apply the principle to your life, I believe you will end up reinforcing the character of the king and the kingdom into your life. So let me explain that. As we look at these gates, as we examine the relevance of these gates, if you and I were to apply them, you will find that if you apply the principle or the meaning of these gates into your life, you will find that the character of the king and the character of the kingdom will seep into your life. That's how we're going to look at these gates. So let's go to chapter 3, Nehemiah chapter 3, Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah is before Ezra, Nehemiah chapter 3. After Chronicles, sorry, Nehemiah is after Ezra. After Chronicles, after Ezra, after, and then comes Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 3, starting at verse uh, 1. So in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, you see the first gate, and the first gate is the sheep gate. The first gate is the sheep gate. The gate got its name because the sheep that would be sacrificed in the temple would be bought, brought in through this gate. Sheep that were sacrificed in the temple were brought in through this gate. That's why it was called the sheep gate. That's why it was called the sheep gate. Um, so how does it apply to our lives? There are different ways people interpret it. And uh, um, how do we apply it to our lives? Guys, at the end of the day, the sheep were brought for sacrifice. The sheep were brought for sacrifice. Their blood would be poured out. How do we apply this to our lives? How does the character of the king and the kingdom now apply to our lives? As you go into 2024, can you have this door or gate, I'll ask this question before every gate, can you have this door or gate in your life? And what is this door or gate? 
can you, in 2024, empty or pour out your life for Christ, his body, and others? The word pour out must be matched with the word empty. Can you pour out or absolutely empty your life for Christ, but it is not enough to empty it for Christ because Christ does not reach out and take it. But the moment you put Christ, his body, and others, now it is possible to empty your life. If one were to look at the sheep gate of the um, um, then how would it apply to our lives? This is how it would apply. Pour out your life. Empty it for the sake of king and kingdom. Here is another word that perhaps you should get accustomed to in 2024 if you want to pour out your life. Inconvenienced. It's a big word. Scrabble, that would net you like thousands of points. But this is one word that the church must embrace, inconvenienced. The strange thing with take your rightful place is it is impossible to take your rightful place in the kingdom if I am not willing to be inconvenienced. Taking your rightful place in the kingdom and inconvenience go hand in hand. You can't have one or the other. You can't say, I want my place in the kingdom, but I don't want to be inconvenienced. It is the very nature of your savior. It is the very nature of king. It's the very nature of the kingdom. That's how you take your rightful place. So the sheep gate, the sheep gate stands for pouring out our lives in 2024. It might be different for another church. It might be different when this is preached by another pastor because this, uh, this uh, um, study of Nehemiah's gates is not unusual. Many have done it before. But I'm saying this is relevant to us right now. In fact, when I first wrote these notes, it was on Thursday or something, and then I was quite happy, but it sounded like uh, what you read anywhere uh, in any situation. So I had to stay up till 2.30 last night to rework the whole thing so that it applies to us. Why? Because when a word is spoken, and if it is spoken either in terms of rhema for a church or prophetically, it must apply to us. It cannot be something that is generic. That's why I'm honing in on this saying, this is for us. You can find different versions of this just by Googling, but this is for us. This is a topic that has been preached by pastors for at least 30 or 40 years. I preached this in 2012. So, empty yourself, eh? Empty yourself. When this door is open, you, you get to this place of pour out empty and inconvenienced, and if this door, when, when you open this door in your life, when you open this door in your life, then know that it notifies the principalities and powers 
of their dethronement. There is nothing Satan shudders at more than a Christian deciding that he or she does not care for their lives anymore. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even unto death. We don't have to die. We can start by not loving our lives. Inconvenience is the opposite of self-preservation and it is not possible to find your rightful place in the kingdom without being inconvenienced. And once a person crosses that threshold of inconvenience saying, I am willing, now what happens is you notify the powers and principalities of their dethronement because if you don't love life, what else is left to take? This is why when you go and fight wars and there are guerrilla fighters, why do they always win? Why was Vietnam never run over? Despite the fact it was bombed like crazy, you never had clean victories because once you don't love your life, how can someone win? Just remember that. I'm not saying we can arrive here at once, but we can, oi, Briel. We can't arrive here at once, but we can start here. This is where we start. Any questions? And if the question is, but shouldn't we balance life? Hey, we are experts at that. So I won't even answer that question because it's, uh, we never have a problem balancing our lives. Any other questions besides that? Um, One of the questions I would ask is, uh, okay, so you say inconvenience, how Uh, what will inconvenience look like and how am I going to be inconvenienced? It doesn't matter. The starting point is, am I willing? After that, trust God to know your limits, to know how much to stretch you. Can you imagine if a woman who uh, gets pregnant immediately had a nine-month belly? First of all, it would freak her husband out. Second, It's not possible. It stretches over time to accommodate the child. So once I say, Father, inconvenience me more this year than I have been inconvenienced in the last year, the process starts. Because God surprisingly takes me and my words at face value till he finds me untrue, even though he may know that I will not hold up to what I have said. Hear me again. God takes your words at face value till you break it, even though he may already know that you will not be able to keep your promise because that is how he is and he made us in his image. When he says something, he expects to do it. And so when we say something, he expects us to do it. He also knows whether you will or not. But that doesn't mean that he will take your words and say, forget it, I already know you're going to sin tomorrow. We stood here today and some of us may have repented. Some of us may have said, I'm going to do this, oh God, I promise you this. And he lovingly takes it saying, right now I know your heart means it completely and I will take it where it is, even though I know what will happen tomorrow. Strange God, eh? 
So the, the intent is not how will I be inconvenienced, what does that look like, what, is, what does emptying look like, what does pouring out look like, what will I lose? All these questions may come and they are legitimate human questions. Just human questions, legitimate. But the point is, can I start with this pledge, oh God, can I... I was reading a prayer by A.W. Tozer and at one point he says, oh God, this year, can you make sure that I don't take an easy life. Can you make sure that I don't, he's even going into, this is a man who wrote books, who's a brilliant scholar and an amazing preacher. And he's writing stuff like, can you make sure that I don't overeat? Can you make sure that I don't sleep late? Can you make sure that uh, I, when I'm offered rewards, that they don't corrupt me? Can you make sure that I do not take the easy way out, that I take the less traveled way? Can you make sure as I take this honor that you have stooped to give me, can, I, can you make sure that this heart stays? That is what he says. He's basically praying a prayer of inconvenience. So that's a sheep gate. Embrace this and you participate in the life of the king and the kingdom. Hold it at a distance and revere it and uh, you'll still benefit but you don't get to eat the full meal. Next one. Fishgate. I had forbade my mum from frying sardines at home because once you fry sardines, especially if you do it the Indian way with spices, uh, it works itself into everything, eh? Like it even gets into your guitar. So when you're standing and playing, you can hear whiffs of, whiffs of uh, uh, fried sardine coming out. So I forbade her from uh, frying it. And so she never would fry it, but when I left, she got Jeevan and I think Derek to go buy sardines. <laughs> she fried the sardines and then Derek was smart. He completely escaped. Jeevan got stuck. And Jeevan doesn't like fish. But he doesn't know how to say no to my mom. So my mom fried these sardines and kept feeding Jeevan and Jeevan kept eating him. I came back three days later, Jeevan was still burping sardines. But he didn't have the guts to tell my mom that, listen, it's not a good idea. The fish gate has nothing to do with this. So that was just a story on the side. When I said fish gate, I was reminded of Jeevan. Okay, fish gate. Fish gate was a key entry to the city. It was a key entrance to the city. Uh, and uh, it was the gate through which fishermen um, brought their catch. Brought their catch to the market. So this was a gate that was used by them. It was surprising how there were certain gates in the city that were used by certain professions to do what they're supposed to do. Guys, if this gate is closed, and I suspect that in our lives, this is one of the most, um, th in our lives, uh, and starting with mine, I think this is one of the gates that is, that is most rusty. It creaks every time you open it, because it hasn't, doesn't get opened too, too often. If this gate, if this gate is closed, 
if this gate is closed, the story of Jesus in your life is silenced. What does this gate represent? I will make you fishers of men. It is this idea of proclamation. And I would say that other than a few, and perhaps some that go to Wally, this gate is a creaky, rusty gate at Acts 29, because I don't think we are a charismatic church or a proclaiming church as a people. We do share Jesus with our friends every so often, and it's a very Jesus is, uh, Jesus can heal you, Jesus. But Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. Jesus died on a cross and he rose again. That is not explicitly something this church proclaims without hesitation. You might be doing it individually every so often. But I think it, this, is, this is one creaky gate in this church. And I pray God that the Lord inconveniences me in this area so that I find myself in situations where I have to open my mouth and share the story of Jesus in my life without being silenced. And it's so easy not to do it because I roam in Christian circles. As a pa- pastor's witness, the least, eh? Basically, this is a call to witness. Okay. Do we wait for God to inconvenience us or? Uh, we, we lay ourselves before God saying, oh God, I present myself before Christ and the body of Christ to be inconvenienced. So please, oh God, inconvenience me. That's your dealing with God. Then you come to whoever you are being raised under. In the past it was a house church, now it might be dawn or May, and you go to say, please inconvenience me. Use me. It's both. The thing with surrendering anything to Christ is because he is not physical and visible, he won't take anything. That's why it's so easy to surrender money to Jesus. Try surrendering money to me. I noticed nobody moved. <laughs> so, if, the gla- if the, th- this gate of proclamation is something that I believe this church does not do enough. And if this gate is closed, Christian life begins to stagnate. Christian life begins to stagnate. Christian life begins to stagnate. And God then intervenes by disturbing your status quo. Every time the church decides not to proclaim the need for a savior because there is sin and the need for lordship and Christ, every time the church has gone silent about Christ for a while, Christ sends a method to scatter the church. Either through persecution or through some pressure, the church is scattered so that that whole process can begin again. Because the very nature 
of the church is to be missional, and to be missional, one has to proclaim. Proclaim what? That there is sin, that we need a savior, and that once you receive the savior, he is Lord. And I would say to you, and, and there might be occasions when you've done this, but this is not a regular practice. This is not a regular practice. When you meet someone who's not a believer, our tendency in this church is to be friends. It's to befriend, is to be helpful, is to include them in community. What use is it if someone is not a believer and you include them in the community because he ain't going to be in the community up there. He will be part of this community and he will die in his sins. He will not go to heaven. Tomorrow the person that we include in our community could be dead in an accident. We must create community for people to come in, but we must also let them know that this community is created around the name of Jesus Christ, who alone is Lord, who can save you from sins. You need a savior. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should then become a, 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 a thorn. Do I really want to be part of a community that proclaims Christ as Lord? One of the worst things that a church can do is include people in a community that are never present Christ. Outright. Outright. And there is the spirit of the world that we live in that makes it more and more difficult to preach Christ as the only God. It's very hard to do that at work. I'm sure you do it. Some of you have the courage and the, um, and the commitment to do it, but many of us don't. Any questions? Any thoughts? Anything you want to add? I'd like to do this not when I'm given an opportunity to preach. I'd like to do this when I'm with people and I recognize that they are not Christians. So easy to do it when you're sitting in a church like this and preaching. You can always introduce Christ. But what about those one-on-ones where you, there is a good chance that you will be rejected? The fish case. If we do not announce, then the adoration of the king in our midst will grow cold. Whatever we adore, we announce. In the reverse, if you do not announce the one you adore, within our midst, adoration will grow cold. We always announce what we adore. Whenever, it doesn't matter whether it's a burger, a car, or your spouse. Whatever you adore, you announce. And when announcement gets silenced, you will find that adoration becomes cold. Next one. Next gate was called the old gate. The old gate. It was named the Old Gate because it was the main entrance. Into the old city. It was the main entrance into the old city, the old city of Jerusalem. And so it was called the Old Gate. And surprisingly, the Old Gate would open into the old city. And yet, 
this part where it would enter was actually the newest part of the old city. It used to be called the New Quarter, or it used to be called some, uh, the word was Mishnah. And so, how does that apply to us? Jeremiah 6.16. Jeremiah 6.16. Jeremiah 6.16. Jeremiah 6.16. It says in Jeremiah 6.16 that um, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But, you said, we will not walk in it. One more time. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look for the ancient paths, the old paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Guys, when it comes to the old gate and how it applies to our lives, go back and dig the wells dig the wells of your previous previous prophetic words or promises from the past or promises given to your forefathers. How does forefathers apply to us? I know the promises that were given to this church through people like Eddie, through people like Pastor Mike Scantleberry, through people like Chad, through people like me. We call them forefathers in the faith because they came and they delivered things to us. Go look at it. Jeremiah 6.16 says, can you go back to the crossroads, stand, and look at the ancient paths. How did you come here? What was the promise given to you and Jagan when you came here? And as you look at it, how much of the fulfillment has happened? Go stand again and look at it. One of the things we are supposed to go and do is do exactly what Isaac did. In Genesis 26, Isaac goes and looks for the wells that his father Abraham had dug that were now covered and filled with stones. And he goes and he redigs them. And as he redigs them, he even renames them. He gives them different names, the two final wells that he digs up that become his are Rehoboth and Beersheba. Rehoboth meant, I have now given you a broad space. Beersheba meant, I give you a promise now, this is the well of oath. Go redig those wells. Find out the things that have been said over you. They, 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 they're so long ago. Sometimes, guys, for churches like us, God gives us promises that were given to someone else that haven't been finished. And he gives it to us. One of the, one of the wells that we will keep digging till we see water gush out is that promise that was given to us saying, hey, in 1947 to 57, there was a revival in Hebrides called the Hebrides Revival. You guys will see Hebrides 2.0 here on earth. That's an ancient well. And it has been given to this church to redig it again. Stand at the crossroads and look at the ancient path. See what God has said. Someone called Duncan Campbell, 
1947, received a promise to go to Hebrides and start a revival. 70 years later, a little group of people are being said, Hebrides 2.0 will start across the earth from you. How crazy is that? How crazy is that word that Derek came and spoke two weeks ago saying that you will see something that has been unprecedented since the days of Noah. It wasn't being said to me, it was being said to a people. How crazy is that? The more we look at ourselves and see how weak and feeble we are, the more you can begin to trust that God can pull off something amazing. The old gate allows us to stand and look at ancient promises. Look at the ones in your life. Sometimes circumstances can be so huge. Sometimes the opposition and the failure and the crushing of dreams can be so, so, so powerful. Sometimes the fear of what can happen tomorrow can overwhelm you to the point where you don't even want to touch a promise because you're scared that it will fail again. I remember when, uh, before Rennie had Joseph, there were times when Rennie would say, I don't want any more prayer. I don't want another promise saying I'll have a child because she had waited. It'd be frustrating. And then suddenly. This is how the character of the king and the kingdom is built into a people because they begin to live again. I want to remind you of something I'd spoken here long ago. For 430 years, they kept the bones of a man in a tent so that everybody who walked past that tent, after a very cruel day of labor under Egyptian whipmasters, as they would walk past that tent, they would see the bones of Joseph in that tent. And they would remember that Joseph said that a day will come when you will leave this land of bondage and you will go into the promised land and you will bury me there and their backs would be split open by these whips they would have they had made bricks in egyptian kilns and they would come past this tent and they would remember joseph's bones are here they are still being preserved 429 years have gone by little did they know that in one day they'd be leaving and they would leave in a hurry they were told to gird their loins and wear their sandals, eat the Passover meal, not leave anything. And in a moment's notice, they would leave and they left. This is what we can do when we stand at the ancient crossroads. We have to do it for us individually and we have to do it for us as a church. One of the, one of the most important functions I perform in service to the church is to find the promises of God and say, on this we will stand and this shall come to pass. And then it is for our own individual lives too. And God keeps shifting them, keeps moving them. And it's so much fun. Job 27, like a cloud loaded with water, so are you. And I send you sometimes to pour water in extravagant love, other times to discipline. Other times I move you around this way and that way. This way and that way is impossible without being inconvenienced. If you want to be conveniently living a Christian life, please don't ask for the Holy Spirit to use you because he ain't the spirit of convenience. Keep coming back to the blueprint, eh? renaming things. 
digging up ancient paths. One of the questions I've been asking people, and I wanted to ask the church too, uh, two questions as you enter to, uh, 2021. The first question was, um, and I mentioned this last week, but it's a powerful question. What are the laps? Like if you think of Samson laying his head on Delilah's lap, what are the laps that you laid your head on in 2023 that caused your head to be shaved and you to lose your strength? Everyone here laid their lap, laid their head on some lap or the other during 2023. And your head got shaved and you found yourself getting up and you were weaker, not stronger. What is that lap? What were those laps? And if you can make a note of them, you know that these are laps I must avoid in 2024. Because every time I put my head on this lap, my head got shaved and they took me captive because I lost my strength. So that's one question. The other question is, connected to um, what we're talking about right now with the old gate, is um, return to the call of your origin. Return to the call of your origin. I know many of you have heard this story a little short of a million times, but there was a unique eagle that was shut up in a cage somewhere in South Africa that refused to fly because it had been in the cage for so long. Finally, they go open the cage because the eagle is getting sick and dying, and they throw the eagle out of the cage, and it fumbles around and refuses to fly. They try to shoo it, and it still doesn't fly. They decide to shoot it because this eagle won't survive in the wild. As they're about to shoot it, another eagle from the same species begins to circle the sky and begins to call out. As it begins to call out, this eagle on the ground hears the call of its origin, as in what it used to be. As it hears the call of its origin, strength begins to come. As it begins to hear the cawing of this eagle in the sky, it begins to take a few ginger steps. Then it begins to run. Then it begins to flap its wings. And before you know it, because it hears the call of its origin, it takes off and meets the eagle in the sky. The question is, what is your call of origin? How do you take that which has been spoken in the past and that which has relevant in the last few months, how do you combine them and say, this is the call of my origin. For this, he is calling me forward so that he can Take what he wants from me. This is important to come to. It'll take time, so what? Problem with any of this stuff is there is work involved. And the work is very simple. Writing it down, distilling it, writing it down, distilling it, writing it down, distilling it, till you have your little capsule that you can put in your locket or swallow. Now you have it. You take this, what is from the past, and you take what is relevant in the recent um, few, few months, and you add them together, and you have it. The next gate was the valley gate. The next gate was the valley gate. The valley gate. It opened into what was called the Valley of Hinnom. It opened into the Valley of Hinnom, and that's why it's called Valley Gate. Um, guys, for many of us, it is where the Spirit will lead you. And it is a place you'll 
either lie down to die or it is a place where you will prophesy and the breath of life will enter dead bones. I can almost guarantee this, that if you were to receive this message, and that's why maybe it's a good idea to not receive the message. If you receive this message, you will get an opportunity in 2024 where the Spirit of God will lead you into a valley. It'll be a difficult place. But it is a difficult place not so that you lay down and die there. It is a difficult place so that you can go. And like Ezekiel did in Ezekiel 37, you can begin to prophesy and say to the dead bones, rise. I speak, I speak breath on the... See, some places that we want to do great things for God does not happen except through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God is greater than you have ever met him anywhere else. The wilderness is not a place where God is absent. The wilderness is a place where God is colossal. You receive this message as a whole and you will find that God will take you into places where you can breathe life or you can lay down and die. And what does lay down and die look like? Lay down and die is saying, now nah, this is not for me. This challenge is too great. I'm done. I don't want this. And yet, through you, the only intent of God is, hey, I've chosen you to walk into this valley so that you can breathe life and bring those bones back to life. But if you want to lay down, that's fine. I'll go find someone else. We will get this opportunity. I will get this opportunity. I'll get this opportunity multiple times this year. And when it happens, I hope I remember this. And don't pack it up because it's difficult. This is the same thing that happened in Luke chapter 4, where it says, and the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Why? So that he may breathe life upon humanity. In that valley, you will be challenged in terms of compromise. You will be challenged in terms of intimidation. You will be challenged in terms of accusation, maybe. It doesn't matter, because if you can stand, a whole valley will begin to live. This is for us. Any questions? In Hosea 2.15 it says, can you guys go and transform the valley of trouble into the gateway of hope? Hosea 2.15. They pass through the valley of Akor. Akor means trouble. They pass through the valley of trouble and they change it into a gateway of hope. In Psalm 84 verse 6 it says, going through the um, stream of Baca, going through the valley of Baca, Baca is weeping, they turn it into pools of refreshing water. Come on, man. Don't you want to do that? Do you want only easy tasks? Even at work, you like it when you're given a challenging task. Especially if you have a decent boss. At work, if you want a challenging task, if you have a decent boss, how much more with this super decent boss? Ask for the hard things. I pray that the Spirit of God, somehow by His great power, as He did in the uh, olden days would cause some of you to have the same excellent spirit of Caleb where it begins to grab something inside you 
It doesn't matter whether you're 70 or whether you're 20. It grabs something inside you and it says to you, give me the hills where the Anak dwell. Give me something difficult to do. Make my Christian life interesting, Jesus. Retiring is for humans. So what does that make you? When you go through these valleys, God, God disciplines you, eh? But don't think of discipline when you go through this valley as discipline, like punishment. Or, uh, um, it disciplines you as in uh, the same discipline that an athlete has. He makes you ready. There's a discipline that comes because of error, of uh, correcting course. And then there is a discipline that comes from God because he wants you to be strong. Hebrews 12 says that it is not pleasant to go through the process, but which father does not instruct his child to be strong? It benefits you in the end. Some of these stories I'm repeating not because I'm forgetful and old, but for the sake of the, uh, this thing. I mean, uh, my dislike for walking began when I was young. And I would drag my feet and my father would take me on long walks where I had to walk like this. And if I walked like this, he would make me walk again. I quickly learned how to walk like this. But was that punishment? No. What was it? It was discipline so that the son may learn how to walk. Part of the valley experience is that. Can you embrace it? And if we cannot embrace it, it is because we are afraid. And if we are afraid, it is because we are scared of him. And if we are scared of him, it is because I am still not convinced of the perfect love of God. Because I think this is going to be pretty painful. Next one. Next one, uh, it's, not a, it's, a, it's a great gate, but it's not got a good name. It's called Dung Gate. Dung Gate. Why was it named this? Because Jerusalem's rubbish was taken through this gate. You can see why they need to have, needed to have different gates, because you're taking rubbish through one gate, you can't have fish coming through the same gate. So they used to have different gates. This one was Jerusalem's rubbish would be taken through this gate and it would be burnt in the valley of Hinnom. It would be burnt in the valley of Hinnom. That's why it was given that gate. It didn't have a beautiful name, but it performed an important service. Uh, so the most, the most obvious conclusion when you think of Dungate is God saying, oh, you need to get rid of the rubbish in your life. True. But for us, what he's saying is, hey, can you go to Philippians 3.8 church and you, can you count as dung, as dog poo? Every accomplishment, every, um, everything that you boast in your flesh, every talent, every good thing, can you count it as dung? Go to Philippians 3.8. That everything, Acts 29, you have accomplished. Do you take pride in the prophetic? Trash it. Do you take pride in your free service? Trash it. Do you take pride in following the Holy Spirit? Trash it. Do you take pride in being a certain kind? Throw it all away. There is nothing you will boast about. Your boast is only in Christ and Christ crucified and risen. Nothing else. Do you boast in being one global, that you have a few churches here and a few churches there, and you have accomplished something? Trash it. 
Count it as dung. That's when someone wants to start afresh, eh? Companies do that every so often. They, they meet certain measures, and then do you know what they do? They fold it all up and say, out with it. Let's start afresh. Before the iPhone came, you have no idea how many phones were trashed. Because it did not meet the standard. You had to start afresh. Go to Philippians 3.8. 3, 5-8. Everything I had going for me, my pedigree, my accomplishment, my legitimate boasts, any confidence in the flesh are insignificant. It is dog dung. I have dumped it all in the trash so I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. Beautiful, eh? Listen to this again. Everything I had going for me, is it your car? Is it your wife? Is it your husband? Is it your dog? Is it your home? Is it your furniture? Is it your trips? Is it your Air Canada aeroplane status? What is it? What is it? Is it your education? Is it your fabulous job? Is it the salary you get? Is it that you sing well? Is it that you're highly gifted? Is it that you preach well? Is it that you have a great church? What is it? Count it as dung. If you had some dog poo lying here, what would you do? Hold your nose and spit on it. Or maybe just hold your nose. Surprisingly, this is what God wants us to do with this. Everything I had going for me, pedigree, accomplishments, legitimate boasts, confidence in the flesh, are insignificant, dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. And then he says in Galatians 6.14, I'm crucified in relation to the world and will not boast of anything outside of it. Any questions? Okay. This would be great to preach in the US or in any country where nationalism is a big thing. Trash your nationalism. Trash your republicanism. Trash your Trumpism. Those are not what we live by. Fountain Gate. Fountain Gate. The fountain in the Bible always represents or is the picture of the Spirit. John 7, verse 37 to 39. And on the last day of the feast, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Come to me and buy from me uh, rivers of living water for I will give you rivers of living water and out of your belly shall flow rivers or fountains of living water. John 7, 37 to 39. The fountain gate is simply um, a picture of the spirit and it was called the fountain gate because it was near the pool of Siloam, which you've heard of, where the man went to wash his face when Jesus healed him of his blindness. It was near the pool of Siloam and it was literally... Um, Siloam means sent, by the way. But here's the three essentials for us, three essentials of spirit life for us in 2024. 
three essentials of spirit life in 2024. One, surrender to him daily. Two, his life must flow into the world. Three, you must go where he sends. And that sending happens often, not always, often through the body. Three essentials. He must be surrendered to daily. Spirit of God, once again this morning I come to uh, say, this body is yours, this mouth is yours, these feet and hands are yours. You've been waiting for me to wake up. Why? Because you actually think this body belongs to you. I surrender it once again. Now that I have, I realize that you must flow into the world. It's not enough to prophesy in church. It's not enough to speak in tongues in church. You must flow into the world. Ezekiel 47 talks about wherever the river went, it gave life. It, flew, it began to flow into swamps. It began to, began to flow into the Araba, which was a sea. And it turned salt water into fresh water. It must flow into the world. And then the third one is, you must go where he sends. You must go where he sends. Acts 16.6, 6, and the Spirit of God said, go to Phrygia. Uh, go, not, go to, not to go to Phrygia, not to go to Bithynia, but send them to Troas, to Macedonia. Acts chapter 3, verse 8, nobody knows how the Spirit works. Don't know where he's coming from, don't know where he's going, but the Spirit leads you. You must go where he sends, and not always, but often the sending is through the body. Because nobody was an itinerant minister in the Bible. There were no itinerant ministers. The only ones were the seven sons of Sceva, and they met a terrible end. Next gate. If you have any questions, feel free to interrupt. Next gate. The water gate. This was before Nixon, by the way, for those of you who are old enough to remember. The water gate. The water gate was near this spring called Gihon. For those of you who didn't know what that was, don't worry about it. The water gate was near Gihon, which was the, it was called, a, there was a spring in Jerusalem called Gihon. It was the main source of water for Jerusalem. And it was at this gate that Ezra, in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, verse 1 to 3, Ezra convenes all of Israel to read the word, to read the word. The water gate, as is kind of obvious, is the absolute supremacy or need of the word to be studied by the peeps of Acts 29. If this door of studying the word is not open, you will languish. I was watching a guy on TV day before yesterday, many years ago, and he's, he's on TV, he's um, written tons of books, and pretty decent books, eh? Like scholarly books that are, can be read by anybody. Uh, uh, the word is peeps. Um, and so, he, many years ago, he decided that uh, he came across Deuteronomy 8.3, and in Deuteronomy 8.3 it says, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he decided that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he decided that from now on, he will not eat if he does not read. And that was 30, 40 years ago. And because he's hungry and he wants breakfast, the guy for the last 30 or 40 years has been reading the Bible because he made a decision that if he does not read, he will not eat because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. He took that word and moved it around and decided from now on, I will not eat if I do not read. And so he has found himself reading every day because he's eating every day. And it's studying the word. Ezra 7.10. Ezra 7.10 is such a beautiful uh, verse. Ezra 7.10. This is, this is why you should do it. This is how you should do it and I should do it. Ezra 7.10. No, Ezra 7... Yeah, Ezra 7.10. Ah, for Ezra devoted himself to the study and the observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and the laws in Israel. In um, the other uh, versions it says, he devoted himself to study so that he could teach and sh so that he could show how to live it. Studying, teaching, living. Studying, teaching, living. Studying, teaching, living. Studying, teaching, living. You should study the word so that you can teach it and live it. That is his gate. And isn't it fascinating that at this very gate, the water gate, Ezra convenes in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, he calls all of Israel and says, all right, guys, from morning to midday, he stood and he read the word. And they all waited, eh? Without the word, you will languish. It's impossible. How does a young man keep his way pure? By studying the word, by reading the word. Next gate was a horse gate. Horse gate. The horse gate was close to the king's stables. And this was the gate through which the men would ride horses into war. Ride horses into war. This was the gate through which you would see the cavalry leaving, the army leaving on horses. This is where they would stand as the horses would ride into war. And so, um, for Acts 29, this is so critical that we understand that kingdom implies warfare. Kingdom implies warfare. That the kingdom can only be advanced through spiritual warfare. That Christ is your divine warrior king. If you think this is not true, look at Revelations 19, verse 11 onwards. Keep this door open, guys. You know, you can never train for war by yourself. Never. Nobody, 
hires a person who says, I've trained for war. Because you never train for war except with a group of people. Even if you're a mercenary, there are no real Rambos in the world. Rambos get shot immediately from a distance. You can put a bandana on your head and have a few cuts, but you can still shoot Rambo. It doesn't work. But always warfare is trained together. Judges chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Judges chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord God of Israel left in the land five tribes so that those in Israel who hadn't yet faced battles and wars, who were not veterans of war, would now have an opportunity to face opposition and be trained for war. God left people in the land as opposition so that you could be trained for war. Crazy. Read it. Judges chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Judges 3, verse 1 and 2. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had no previous battle experience. Guys, this church was meant for this. And kingdom fighting doesn't look like human fighting, eh? But my God, if you don't train for it, uh, you could still enjoy the benefits. When people come back with the spoils, you will still get your divide of spoils. You will still get your divide of spoils. But always remember something, that it's oranges to oranges, apples to apples when it comes to this life and the next life. How you do here is what you get rewarded for there. If that is heaven, what I do here is exactly what I get in heaven. How I, how I train here is how I will be appointed there. Next gate, the east gate, the east gate. The east gate, I actually have a picture of it that I took, not knowing that it was the east gate. It's strange, eh? The east gate would lead into the temple. And in 1540, because um, um, the Muslim sultan who took over Jerusalem uh, during that time didn't want the Messiah to come, they shut those gates up. Because it was said in Ezekiel 44 and Ezekiel 40 that the Messiah should ent will enter through those gates. So what they did was they started um, burying the dead on the slopes of that gate and they shut the gates up thinking by doing this the Messiah won't come. I mean it's a futile human effort, right? And uh, so the east gate still exists. And so the east gate is usually for the entry of the glory of God and the Messiah. It is a gate that anticipated the making of all things new. Never forget this Acts 29. We have been given a gift We've been given a gift. I assure you, you haven't heard of this in most uh, preaching that you would hear in other churches. It's a gift given to us. 
that listen, the reason I have given you the presence of God is so that you can go. You can come and join me in making all things new. Sometimes when God gives you a gift like that, ponder on it. Because in pondering on it, you may get a glimpse of something that I don't have, that she doesn't have, that she doesn't have, that God gives you, saying, hey, I've given you a key now. You know how you can teach a class the same principle in physics and someone gets it? Someone gets it more than others and they discover something phenomenal while you just barely scrape through physics? It's like that. God's given us a gift. Listen, I give you my presence not because I want you to be dancing around. I give you my presence not so that you speak in tongues. I give you my presence not so that you can experience fire. All that is good. I give you my presence for one reason alone. I give you my presence so that you can join me in making all things new. Revelations 21 verse 5. Behold, I heard a voice from heaven and it said, Behold, I have come now to make all things new. No more tears, no more fears, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more mourning. Everything has been made new. You and I have been given this beautiful, simple truth that, listen, guys, the reason I'm letting you experience my presence, the reason you're singing the presence song today, the reason I'm teaching you how to get attached to my presence, the reason you sometimes learn how to hunger after my presence is just for one reason alone, to make all things new. Because my presence isn't going to leave you. Whatever I needed to do in you with my presence is already done. Now, please, can you let it go? The east gate was always a gate. You know, when someone looked through the east gate, you would see the beginning of a new day because the sun would rise there. It didn't matter what happened during the night in Jerusalem. You look through the east gate and you would see the sun rising. There was anticipation. You look through the east gate and you would remember that in Ezekiel 44 and in Ezekiel 40, it says the Messiah will come through those gates. You knew that if the Messiah would come, everything would be restored. Jerusalem would be a place of peace. It would be like in the days of Solomon. That's what the East Gate reminded them of. It is a gift given to us. We should tell others about it. Make all things new. I know it's two to six, but I asked the pastor in this church if we'd go a little later today. He said, absolutely, you guys are the best. Uh, I take back my words that good things come out of FCC. (laughs) Keep this door open. eh? Keep this door open. Keep this door open. Next gate was called the inspection gate. Inspection gate. Inspection gate. This was a gate where men would gather to be conscripted, to be conscripted or drafted into the king's service. Tradition has it that David would inspect his troops at this gate. It was also sometimes called the muster gate, as in where people are mustered or drafted to join the army. Guys, what is this gate for us this year? This is really cool, eh? Sends a lot saying that present yourself, present yourself for inspection. 
present yourself for inspection. What does this mean? Line up and say, like David in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel says, hey, do you have any other sons? If you think you're ready for service, Samuel will come and say, Jesse, do you got any more sons? And David comes up and joins the line. Present yourself for inspection. That, oh God, I'm ready. I want to be inspected. And after inspection, I want you to put me into some kind of service for you. Or 2 Timothy 2.5, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study yourself and show yourself approved as one who can handle the word. Present yourself for inspection. Present yourself for inspection. You know, once they make a car and all the parts are put together, once they make an aircraft put together, it's inspected. You go and check every part. Uh, are you ready to be inspected? So what if in the inspection a flaw is found? That's exactly what an inspection is for. If a flaw is found, that's great. Now you get to correct it. Otherwise, halfway through driving, you suddenly find one wheel going ahead of you. Because the nut was loose. I'm not talking about Kamal. And so, sorry Kamal, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have taken that long. My God, if you ever became a pastor and I was in your congregation, you would have me for breakfast. Second, uh, what else can you be inspected for? Are you free of defects? This is not something where you come and stand in front of the church and say, inspect me, but you know, in Leviticus 21, there's a whole passage where it says, a person with a flat nose, a person with, a, uh, with broken testicles, a person with scabs, a person with a limp, a person with an eye that was not functioning well, a person with this, a person with that, the priest would come and inspect and say, nope, 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 nope. Uh, wh why was that given? That was given so that we could stand before God and say, all right, I have a limp. Oh, God, help me fix it. I have an eye defect. Oh, God, help me fix it. What is an eye defect? The Bible talks about the eye defect as, as um, what do you call those things where you don't see on the side of the car? Blind spot. Yeah. Uh, an eye defect is a blind spot. A limp is your ability to know where to go, but you can't because your feet is dragging. The, the, we talked about this many, many moons ago. But the point is this. What is wrong with having your flaws inspected? Not in front of the entire congregation, but with one or two that you trust. Inspect my flaws. David used to go to God. Go to God first, and then God will also appoint you to people. What's that song say? Um, try me, O God. Try me, O Savior. Know my faults today. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Inspection. If you believe that this is a word that was carved out for us, do it. Free from fear. Check if there's fear in your life. Inspect. I could go on. Last two gates. Once in 816. It's called the Ephraim gate. 
You know what Ephraim means? Double fruitfulness. Hey, let me go back to inspecting. Present yourself this year for inspection. If you present yourself for inspection and you pass the inspection, people can imitate you. If you don't present yourself for inspection, you cannot be presented to be imitated. And so what if in being inspected, flaws are found? That is the reason for inspection. Only one who desires to hide flaws or one who longs to be perfect in a perfectionism way will hide their faults. Perfectionists dread flaws being found. Ephraim, double fruitfulness. Guys, remember, God alone gives double honor and double portion. Only God can give it. We see that in the Elijah, Elisha story. Is it settled that no man can give it to you? Only God can give it. But for God to give it, here are the conditions. Partake in his life Walk in, your, walk in your mantle. Rest and obey. Pursue spiritual fathers like firstborns. Because the very principle of double portion is the firstborn gets a double portion. If you had two sons and you had a hundred bucks, then two parts of that hundred would go to the firstborn. One part of the hundred would go to the second. God is the only one who can give you double honor. God is the only one who can make you doubly fruitful. Nobody else can do it for you. No man can do it for you. If man gives you something, all he does is he takes 100 bucks and makes it 200 and gives it to you. When God says double portion, he doesn't give you 200 bucks. He gives you the ability to take the 100 and make it 1,000. Double portion is not a measure with God. Double portion is double the ability. So God only knows what can happen with 100 when he doubles your ability. He never works in measures. If he worked in measures, he would have got the fish and the bread right. So, the Ephraim gate represents for this church double fruitfulness. For you, for me, for me and for you, double honor, double fruitfulness. And God is saying, hey, I'm asking you to do a simple thing so that I can give this to you. Remember, which dad does not want to give his child more? Only a really bad dad. Every dad wants to empty themselves before they leave the earth because they aren't taking it. They'd rather leave it to their children, which dad won't. But because this is a responsible dad, he has certain measures that he uses to say, aha, I find Mark responsible. 
you can handle this now. You will steward it, you will not squander it. And what are the, what are the things? Partake in his life. Not a big deal. Partake in his life. What do you mean partake in his life? Partake in his character. Not in his deeds, in his character. Moses, Israel knew God's acts. Moses knew God's ways. Second, walk in your mantle. Do you know the mantle that you carry? Do you know it? Do you know what the mantle this church carries? Do you know the mantle that you carry? Walk in it. Doesn't matter how old or young you are. To the extent you can, know that this is what the Father has called me for. And the third one is rest and obey. Do things out of rest. Do things out of rest. What is the seed for rest? Obedience. Whatever God tells you, do that. Not one iota more, not one iota less. Just bear obedience. This is what you said, this is what I do. Walk around seven times, I will walk around seven times. Shout once, I'll shout once. Don't go, I will not go. When I hear the sound of marching on the treetops, I will go. What do you tell me? Tell me what you do, I will rest. And the last one is pursue spiritual fathers. In every situation in the Bible, the pursuit of spiritual fathers, for what? Not pursuing them to suck up to them, not pursuing them to be yes men, not pursuing them so that you become um, um, sycophants that just do whatever they say. Pursue them so that whatever is in their life, you can get. And when God sees that, what God does is, He gives you more than what you are pursuing. This is what happens with Elijah and Elisha. Elisha is pursuing Elijah when there are 51 other prophets that could have, and they don't. And does Elisha get anything from Elijah? Nothing. But does he get twice more than Elijah? Yes. Are his miracles twice more? Yes. Is the influence twice more? Yes. But strangely enough, God is still known as the God of Elijah, not the God of Elisha, even though Elisha did twice as much. Any questions for the last gate? Pardon? I don't know. These are two gates that are not mentioned in chapter 3. They're mentioned in chapter 8. But I know the meaning of Ephraim. And then the final one is prison gate. Prison gate. What a cool gate to end on. Huh? Prison gate. It was also called the gate of the guard. Gate of the guard. And so it used to be close to the it used to be close to the palace, and uh, there would be uh, a guard posted there. And these were like the kind of guard that would protect the king's interests. Their job was to protect the king's interests. It was literally like perhaps the secret service that the president has, where their their intent was. Protect the king's interests. If there's any uh, attempt against him, if there's uh, anything that is precious to him, these were the guards that would protect the king's interests. You still see them at the Vatican, eh? You have the, the papal guards. They're dressed funny and they hold uh, like uh, spears and stand there. So um, it used to be called the prison gate. So protect the interests of the king. What in your mind is the chief interest of the father 
Son, and Spirit. What is the chief interest? What is their magnificent obsession? What is the magnificent obsession of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? <laughs> it's only one thing, guys. The bride, the church. It's a magnificent obsession of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. People, the church brought together, the bride of Christ. The Son, he would lay down his life for his bride. The Holy Spirit put the bride together. The Father sent the Son so that his people could be brought back to him. It's his magnificent obsession. And if this is not your magnificent obsession, if that is not the centerpiece of your heart, then you, you, then you lose out on the centrality of God's heart. This is his magnificent obsession. Love this thing called the bride. I'm not talking about Acts 29. I'm talking about the body of Christ. But you can't love... If I go and tell you, oh, I love all the women of the world, you'll ask me, first love your wife. So start here. It's like all Indians are my brothers and sisters, but I hate this Indian. It doesn't work like that. So you've got to start first with the body that you're part of. But it's his magnificent obsession. You lose out on the centrality of this. You lose out on the centerpiece of God's heart. So, I must make sure I don't bring dissension, strife, discord that I don't steady the ark if I'm not called to where Uzzah and Ahio were affected that I don't amend the blueprint these are not mine to do why? because in Revelations 21, verse 9, it says, and this is what it says, I'm not kidding you, I'm not phrasing it, it says, the church is the lamb's wife. Crazy, eh, to use raw language like that? Ask questions, challenge, be like the Bereans, examine the truth. But if I bring strife, discord, or dissension, then, or if I try to amend the blueprint that God has given, or if I try to um, steady the ark, like Ahio and Uzzah did, when it is not my role, then, I'm treading where angels fear. Fools tread where angels fear. And so, on one hand, the church is the lamb's wife and I must lay down my life to serve her. On the other hand, if I defile the temple and here the word for the temple is naos. This is in 1 Corinthians 
3.16. Guys, there are two verses that we shouldn't mess up. There's 1 Corinthians 3.16 where it says, do not destroy or defile the temple of God. Do not pollute it. Do not corrupt it. Through discord, through strife, through amending things. Do not. So there are two scriptures. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do not destroy the temple. For if you destroy or defile the temple, I will destroy you. God is saying this. And there he's talking about the actual church. The word naos is used. And then in 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? There he's not talking about naos. He's talking about soma, body. Both are different. We shouldn't confuse both. And so, on one hand, it is the Lamb's wife and I must do everything in my power to lay my life down in her service. On the other hand, if I defile the temple, which we are, God will. Very rarely does God say something like this in the New Testament. God will destroy you. Fool's tread. This is not scripture, but I feel I need to end with it. Fool's tread where angels fear. Any questions? Yeah, the corporate body, Naos. And then go to 1 Corinthians 6, 19. 6, 19, I think, or 6, 18. What does it say? Yeah, and that's the place where it talks about this temple. Cool? Alrighty. Next year will be 2024, man. Um, let's pray. Father, very sober-looking crowd. <laughs> I think it would have been great if prison gate was somewhere up on the top. It would have been nicer to end with a nicer gate. Not dung gate, not prison gate. Maybe some other nice gate would have been better. But this was the order in which you arranged the gates around Jerusalem. So... Um, we thank you that you call us the Lamb's wife, the bride of Christ. So what note can we end on but to ask as we end 2023 that could this become our magnificent obsession too? Spirit of God, these are such easy things for you to do. You know us. You know that we love you. Everybody here, every person here has such a desire for you, Lord. Some of us don't even know you well, but we know there's something about you, Jesus. And so, Spirit of God, would you just go row by row, touching every one of your sons and daughters, every one of us who knows you and ones that, are, that will soon know you, touching us and saying, hey, let me change your heart. Let me give you a new love for the bride, a new desire to serve. This is our magnificent obsession says the triune Godhead. As a father, I sent my son to buy you back and when you received him, you became part of the bride. My son, he laid down his life so that he can give me a blemishless bride. My spirit, 
Ah, oh, he's the one who is present with my life amongst you. You are my magnificent obsession. So Father, across this room, would you give us such a desire for the bride, for the church, for the body of Christ. So that as we step into 2024, we will be part of this primary vehicle called the church that you use to influence the world. You can do it yourself. You can do it through a rainbow, as you've done in the past. But you have decided that the primary vehicle through which your presence, your principles, your patterns, and the future will be presented to the earth, will be through the church, which we are. This is our last song for the year.